0: So now that you're all nice and comfy, if you want to come forward, you can. (laughs) You don't have to, but it is a little bit cozier up here when you're closer. Do you want a chair? This chairs on the side. So let's get to some vital matters here. How many people are here are sleep deprived? And I'm not raising my hand for you. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not alone. Hmm. It's interesting with that, isn't it? What happens when you have less sleep? Not that we we want to make a lifestyle out of it Although some people do struggle a lot with sleep Adults, teens Um, But in this setting, there's so much support That sometimes you can just uh, Go with what these instructions are Like just pay attention and notice And be with how it is Rather than trying to make yourself into something else. So I should say there's, there's a warning here like that maybe there may be Protestant undertones to this talk. I don't know. <laughs> I really reflected on that last night. You know, that you were all up in your discussion groups. I'm not leading a group this year and you know, they're really talking about, like, cool, deep stuff. And I was down here, like, look at those sabutans. Look at the... Pe-. They're all messed up. They're all mixed up and moved around. And, you know, they're usually, like, in order, you know. So maybe I was reflecting on some Protestant, you know, conditioning. I don't know. But, you know, I spent probably almost 45 minutes straightening the um, these little things. And then there was, like, blankets and, and you know... Cushions here and this piled on top of there And that was like kind of like this big mess I was like, you know, I'm trying to make it straight And Jean, they are not straight You know, it's just not how it is They're kind of a clump, this group They clump together, you know We come together, we clump together You know, and then it was like, should I make an aisle? Do we have an aisle? I don't know, do we have an aisle? You know, I mean, I'm telling you It went on, it went on I kept thinking, they're up there and I'm like, and I started folding blankets and I was thinking, oh, I could be folding someone's blanket and they'll miss it, but they're all the same kind of blanket and, you know, and then I got it kind of what I thought really straight it's like, okay, phew, I can go get an orange and and then one one of those little squares was like sticking out, it was out of place and there was all this stuff on it and pillows and guess who? It was Peggy! <laughs> Had to find a fitter back in there. <laughs> I thought, well, Pagananda has come in a little sooner this year. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry, you'll you'll really get a taste later tonight. So, yeah, we're community, you know, and, uh, you know... I mean, I am joking and I'm making fun of myself, but it is, it's a part of my mind, you know? And it's kind of, I mean, I, I know I'm not alone. Like, we want to make order, don't we? We want to get things in order. And, and they're not. They're not really. You know, in some ways, we could say that's even the doorway to why we meditate. You know, because really, come on, that, that is like a key question. Like, why do we do this? What happens in meditation? How does it really, let's be real, how does it really relate to living our lives? And you know, we were talking about like the good feelings, the good feelings, not the conflict. We're talking about love, love, love. You know, if love is one of the answers, how do we love? How? How does it manifest? I mean, that that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? It's not like, oh, we are one. This feels so good. I mean it does feel good. But you know, as one of you were saying last night from your groups that, well, what about conflict? You know, what about when you experience conflict right here? You know, right right on the retreat. You think, "Oh man, this isn't supposed to be happening. This is a meditation retreat about love." You know, and no no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way with the adults. You know, we conflict arises. It's it's not because we're making that happen, it's not because we're trying to make it happen, it's because we're human beings. We have differences. We see things differently, we see things similarly. Conflict arises. How do we deal with it? How do we relate to it? And for those of you that are active in social justice movements and That doesn't have to be everyone. It isn't everyone in this room. It may be a small minority of people in this room, you know. But whenever we engage with groups and we want change, we want to make a point, we really need to think and process and be aware of how we communicate. How do we listen to each other? How do we speak? This is, for me, this is a life practice. And I've spent, you know, here I'm gonna do the age thing right now, but it's true, you know, I am my age. I started meditating when I was 18 years old. That adds up, it's, you know, I don't know what it is now. 40, Almost 45 years, actually. You know, and these are, these are ripe questions for me. It's not like here, let me sit up here and tell you all this is how you do it. It's like I'm with you. We're with you. We're with you in those questions. We're making some of the same mistakes, if you will. And we're learning and we learn from each other. And that's, that's the Dharma, if you will. Who knows what Dharma means, the word? I know, so sorry. We put these words up and it's like, what does it mean? So the word Dharma, it's, it's a word that is, um, it's actually a Pali word, another language that the Buddha spoke. And it, it, it means seeing things clearly. It, that's really what it is. It means investigating directly and seeing clearly. And then we can express it. Or we can know it. Or we can understand it. colleague of mine said once in a talk how can we expect to understand the world if we don't understand ourselves how, how can we possibly know what it's like to be human if we don't know that in ourselves so there, there's one of those answers then why do we meditate well it's a tool it's a tool it's a skill set It's an application that we apply ourselves to so we can see, so we can see more clearly. Not because it's noble, great, cool, I'm a meditator. You know, let's face it, there's plenty of other things we might rather be doing. But why? Is it worthy? Is it worthy of our time? Is it worthy of taking four or five days here? You know, or if you think, yeah, the meditation, it's all right, I'm really here for the people. Don't be fooled. The fact that we're sitting here silent together still saying no to this, to that, to that, we're just showing up for ourselves, has a huge impact. And I don't care if you, there wasn't one time in one sitting that you've been here, uh, that you've actually really experienced your breath or a sound. If you've sat through every single sitting and was like, slept, get me out of here, you, you, you're held in the container of paying attention. That is happening. That's why many people, including adults, including myself, will say it's hard to meditate alone. It's not impossible. And you'll hear later, I'm sure, when we share that people do have daily meditation practices. It's helpful. But so many people say, people have meditated for years, it makes such a difference when I'm in a group. There's a power that happens. There's an energy that happens. I'm here and seeing heads nods. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, I don't have to tell you this. You know it, right? You feel it. It's happening. And those of you that have, and, and I'm not trying to do a hierarchy with this. I'm just saying that over time you get more confidence in that. Why do we get more confidence? Because we experience it. That's all. That's why some people who are nodding their heads, maybe you've been here more than once. Or maybe this is your first retreat and you're like, yeah. I know exactly what you're saying, I get it. And if you don't get it, so what? Do not waste your time worrying about that. You know, you're here, we're here. So meditation, attending to our direct experience, what are some of the things that we see? You know, we see anger, fear, tiredness, loneliness, joy, happiness, agitation, buzziness. Longing, wanting to eat, not wanting, get me out of here, birds, you could add a whole other thing, you could just keep going with it, you know, we just see the whole the whole show, if you will, the whole landscape of being alive just just in a moment, you know, and what did we hear this morning when uh, a few people were talking about their experience of just simply paying attention to thought as something that happens. You know, it doesn't really take a lot. It's kind of an interesting thing to do. And what, look what we heard. What, what do you discover? Like, wow, I am not my thought. What does that mean? Does that mean my thoughts don't matter? No, no. But it does mean when I'm caught, when I'm caught in something that says, this is me and I'm right, I'm right about this. Or this is me and I'm a piece of doo-doo, you know, like I am just crap, I'm worthless. It means that's not it either. It means that we don't have to believe those kinds of thoughts that are chronically in our minds evaluating, judging, ourselves and other people. That's one of the benefits of meditation. And my friends, what I just said to you, it doesn't come from here. What I just said, it comes from here. It comes from just getting it by, by paying attention. And really, when I say paying attention, I don't mean just like, oh, we'll pay attention, you know, in school, pay attention. It means like really cultivating a mind that, is, that can see, can see clearly through and that takes some time that takes some commitment that takes devotion all of what you've been doing these last few days it's not like oh I'm going to be that way someday forget it it's now you're doing it and are you doing it perfectly anybody want to answer that just one person said no wow no No. who is what is that Actually, but kind of an expression of violence, isn't it? Try to do something perfectly. Who can do that? So, the first aspect we tend to ourselves, our direct experience, we don't understand. If we don't understand ourselves, we can't understand the world. And second, we make room for whatever the, whatever the experience is, as I just said. And we meet it, we meet our experiences with what? Interest, curiosity, openness, non-judgmentalness, and guess what, you see judging, 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 you keep widening up, sooner or later you're gonna get to, hmm, it's just judgment. Sooner or later, you're going to get to, like what Galen was saying, disappears. Many of you have spoken in groups or individually about, you know, someone was talking about an itch. Now, itching, let's face it, that is a compelling sensation, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's just like, let's get rid of it. You know, one of you was just saying, you know, yeah, the itch is there. I noticed it didn't scratch it. Just notice that something else was underneath it, something bigger, something vaster. Getting that in that moment, that is a lifetime refuge. And so what else do we get? else do we get here because it's not just in the meditation practice maybe one of the things we do get through the meditation practice when you start to see that changing landscape of thoughts and feelings and sensations and just when you think it's just like this it changes or your meditation was really good and now it's going to be like that and the next time it's really awful and oh i how can i get it back again we just watch our minds You know, we begin to start to glimpse that if this is happening in this mind, hmm, maybe it's happening in other minds. And we start to really understand our human condition much more. And when we start to understand that, oftentimes, maybe all the time, compassion is born, is born of seeing that. It's 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 its child, you know. Because how when we start to understand our human condition, if we see ourselves in others, whom can we harm? If we really see, it, it, it's impossible to not feel compassion. Now, are you wondering? Oh, does Gene like feel compassion like all the time? walks around bliss <laughs> meditation teacher no it's not like that I need my Dharma buddies you know I need my peeps say hey this is where my mind is this is what I'm feeling or that really pissed me off or this is how I see it and then I look at their faces and I'm like hmm you know so then that's a little where it's like hey is there some openness to get feedback you know we need each other It's 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 a cultivation this this self compassion. There's a lot out in um, in uh, on the internet about you know taking courses self compassion. I highly recommend it. It seems like it's hard to feel compassion for ourselves. Like we start to see you know when you meditate memories come up. You see things. You see things. Maybe you remember things that you've done or things that have been done to you and you feel guilty, or ashamed, or sad Now what do we do with that? Last night, uh, what a privilege it was to to listen to uh, my colleagues and our our mentors uh, speak speak about, so openly, so generously about their experience you know their experience in being human and being human in a particular body. Whether it's a female-identified body, a gender-neutral body, a white body, black body, brown body. You know what it's like because this is this would be the um, what we could call the um, shadow side of. Spiritual practice is the uh, we are one You know we are one So why talk about this because you know if you really realize we are one then why talk about our difference? well If we think like that we're in trouble because we are one and we also have different experiences in the world and we have different experiences in the world, one, because we're different humans, but two, because there is um, an energy in the world that we're working with, an energy in the human mind and heart. And the Buddha spoke about it. He spoke about it as one of the, the three poisons. So when we say, like, who's the enemy? Who is the enemy? Anybody? Selfishness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, me, me, me. Gotta have it for me. Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah. Anything else? What the Buddha talked about is the, 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 the root poison of not seeing clearly, not seeing our true nature, is ignorance. It's ignorance, it's not seeing clearly. You know, if you think about where you know, if someone said something to you or done something, like if you think about the stories that we heard here last night, you know, where is a mind that's 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 writing racial slurs on a, a college dormitory? Where is that mind? It's lost in ignorance. It's completely lost in ignorance and that ignorance can turn into aggression it can turn into hatred it can turn into greed but its base is not seeing clearly not seeing our shared humanity because if you saw it and know it and felt it you wouldn't be able to do that The Buddha also said, hatred is never appeased by hatred in this world. By non-hatred alone is hatred appeased. This is eternal law. Another way to say that, hatred does not cease by hatred, but by love alone. This is the eternal rule. So I'm not trying to like give you a philosophy in fact. Please don't. Take it that way. The only way I can actually read that quote to you is because I've, I continue to invest, investigate it in my own heart. When my mind is filled with I'm right and they're wrong, it's tricky. There's some truth in it, but if, I'm, if that's what's driving me in terms of my communication, it's not going to go very well. I know this bears huge conversation. What I'm saying here, and um, for the sake of the talk, I'm I'm not going to open it up here. But you're going to have group later. You can, you know, hopefully that will, it may stimulate some conversation. See, the thing is, like when we understand this is humanity, then we can actually look in another's eyes and we can see ourselves. Right? We can see ourselves. But if we just see ourselves, there's a problem. If we just see them, problem. How many people talked about that when we did the card thing where you, you, somebody said, like, I didn't know myself, I, just, I was just trying to relate to who I am by what was out there and how destabilizing that is, how unsettling it is or like somehow out there is gonna define in here. And it better fit with the expectations, by the way. So how do we love with our differences and our connectedness, how do we love? You know, we notice some of these differences right here on retreat. I think it was wonderful. Someone said, you know, all about love, all about love. What about working with conflict? Really, incredible question. That's It's a huge question. How do we bring these practices into uh, into our relating? And, um, you know, there's people on this retreat that are offering workshops that, that really uh, look into that. There's, uh, you know, there's more and more... Um, Reading and writing on dialogue, using these uh, these Buddhist teachings, and how do we dialogue with each other? You know, sometimes it can really feel overwhelming, can't it? Like we wanna we wanna do the right thing. You know, we wanna be kind, we wanna understand, and it can feel overwhelming. So, you know, I, I know when I sit here with um, with all of you on retreat, um, I have the, like certain memories that come back from my high school experience, and one of them is, uh, for those of you that have been here for a few years, maybe you've heard this story before, but it, I think it's worthy of retelling. Um, I think it was, I don't know if it was in an English class or whatever, but... Um, I was sitting behind uh, a fellow, his name was Tom, Tom Moen. And um, he had, in, in these days we kind of, in those days you kind of use the language, like he had like a, a femme voice. He had like a, like, you know, other people would say like he had a girl-like voice or whatever. You probably know where I'm going with this. And so there were several groups of boys that, that taunted him, that imitated him mimicked him in the back of the class and um, he ignored it you know he was just quiet and um, it bothered me deeply and I didn't say anything because I was scared I was afraid to make waves I was afraid to somehow have those guys make fun of me i didn't say anything and that was well 45 years ago and i i remember it so at one of my high school reunions there was tom and i just went up to him said Phew really sorry he was like what are you talking about no he didn't he didn't in some way I don't know what he did with it in his mind but he didn't it didn't seem like he really remembered it or it didn't seem like he carried it he was married to a woman he wasn't even gay you know of course they were teasing us that they thought he was gay gay was not cool but you know it felt so important to me to be able to um, offer my forgiveness for something that um, I really regretted and you know that's just like a one time thing like okay we regret something sorry and then we're all perfect again you know it's not like that You know, I I came through a generation in the uh, liberation movement, lesbian feminist movement. Mom, I'm married to my wife. We've been together for almost 40 years. I was 23. We got together. And... You know, I'm sort of more, like you haven't noticed, I'm sort of more in the femme, you know, expression. And she's... uh, She's someone who, ever since she was a little kid, um, people would, other kids would come to her and say, are you a boy or are you a girl? You know? And uh, even in her adulthood same thing like adults would just kind of look at her you know like this and i would see it we'd walk down the room we lived in like liberal northampton still let me tell you even there you know like once we passed by because i was hyper aware of it you'd see like these looks so she's um syrian lebanese descent in her family and she had a mustache a little mustache so you can imagine people looked even more and, and at least the kids were more direct. They're like, are you a boy or a girl? You know, and it, you know, she, was, she wasn't always, like, super cool about it. She said, like, well, what do you think? You know, it bothered her. But she just dealt with it in the moment. But me, it stuck with me. And one of you were talking about passing. You know, so I, I didn't have the concept then of, like, passing in my mind about myself. You know, in terms of the world. Like, people didn't necessarily know I was queer or not. And um, it bought that mustache bothered me a lot. I asked her to get rid of it, and she did. Here we are. You know, this moment right now, when I'm sharing that with you, it's like, whoa. I wasn't at all aware of the harm then that I was causing her. I thought it was protective. I thought, I didn't want to see people looking at her negatively. I didn't want my family to judge her. So I asked her... To hide, essentially. So what do you do with that? What do I do with that? You know, I know some of you are sitting in this room holding things that you feel ashamed of or regretful of or remorseful about. Please, friends, we are human. I know every one of you would forgive me for what I just story I just told you, is that true? Yeah, so why don 't we forgive ourselves? You know, and you know sometimes we think, well, that just lets us off the hook. It really doesn 't because the more we 're aware, the more we have the courage to say something. So there are many other stories I can tell you about that something happened to me. I just said something a few years ago, I was in Toronto airport, some guy was like flipping out. Some white guy was flipping out. I think it was his wife, woman of color, like pissed. Like, where were you? Really loud, you know. And in that moment, it was like something in my body just went boom right to him. Like, sir, you know, really? It was like, sir, what are you doing? You know. And he looked. He was like, he's like, oh, I was just scared. You know. And he was. He was. She, he didn't know where she was. He was scared, and that was his mo. But it's like it just cut through it. It's like exactly what Trellis was talking about last night. Like, do we hold it? Do we sit with it? Or do we move forward and take the risk? You know, he was taking a risk. He could have had that um, the senior person say, Yeah, you know, that director's right. Sorry, buddy. Get out of here. You know, in a nice way right then you feel like really screwed up like oh, it sounded so nice it's kind of like what Christine was saying you know you're strong like you get this message you're like whoa yeah well, that's a good thing good value and you've just been shut down you know so but something in us moves us and we never we don't even know when that when that's going to be we just put one foot in front of the other you know like some of you Maybe whose skin is white and you're born male and you hear all this and you're like, oh my God, oh, what should I do? I feel so bad. You know, I have all this privilege. Well, you know, that's not your fault. And maybe, maybe you can actually just use that when you're with some of your friends or family members and they make like a really, you know, nasty or sexist comment about someone who's female-identified, like, you know, the shape of their body, you know, how easy and available they are, or whatever, you know? Like, wow, maybe you just say something. Maybe you just say, like, you know, that's not okay. Or maybe you just say, like, oh, that that makes me feel really uncomfortable, here's why. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. And sometimes we're just frozen, like I was telling you about with Tom Moe in my high school. But we gotta get over, seriously get over, feeling like we need to be perfect. Because I wouldn't even be sitting here. If I really believe that, there is no way I would sit here and try to talk to you about what the Buddha taught. Now, how do you step into that? There's so much. I also, some of you know, I also work as a psychotherapist and uh, have for a number of years, for probably, probably, I don't know, thirty-eight years. Long time. I'm getting old, man. These numbers are adding up. Um, and there's so many great things, you know, in the world of uh, psychotherapy now. Uh, you know, and some of you, I'm sure, benefit from that through if you're working with a counselor or a therapist. You know, or a school counselor, this mindfulness is really in the field of mental health right now and being utilized and um, studying the brain so that we can understand when something actually, you know, no amount of like, oh, I care about you is going to take care of something in your brain that a medicine might might help. You know, this is this has been very helpful for people in some cases, you know, or. Uh, neuroscience, like how our bodies really are, are these living nervous systems and we respond through our nervous system. The thoughts come right after. The response is, is it safe? Am I okay? That's the first one. And also there's these great things coming into mental health. And, you know, it's like, I'm, you know, I've been in it for quite a while. It's like, oh, you know, something else to study, something else to learn. You know, and it's interesting Sometimes it's overwhelming, and then I sort of look at the studies over time of uh, psychotherapy, and mental health, and there's one common denominator that when you when they do research of people who've been in therapy, this is the most common thing that they say that was helpful. What do you think it was? being listened to, empathy, empathy. You don't have to be a psychotherapist to have empathy. You don't have to be a professional to listen and to listen well. And it starts with listening to yourself. And then when we understand ourselves and understand each other, things happen sometimes where compassion actually overrides whatever the issue was. So back to my, my sweetie, just in the last couple of years, as I was telling you the boy-girl thing. Sometimes, you know, when she was younger, she looked like a teenage boy, and now she still looks like a little... Sometimes she looks like a little old man to me. Um, but there <laughs> anyway, she's going through the airport and um, coming from another country... And going through customs, and there was nice gentlemen, just like okay, you know, just got to go through security, and started doing the pat down. Oh, yeah, did a thought he thought he was he, she was a guy, so she did the whole pat down, then landed on her chest, and it was like he was like mortified, like the poor guy, he was just freaked out. And she was like, it's okay. You know, she just had compassion. Now, there might be another situation where actually there's no way you're feeling compassion. You're like, I'm not going to swear, but you know what it would be. There's an F on it. <laughs> um, it could be like that, you know, for sure. So please, I'm not saying like, here's the way to be. It just has something to do with Maybe living a bunch of years, maybe going through all that, I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with just seeing the pain and horror in his face and his genuine remorse, like immediate remorse. So it's all related to listening, isn't it? How do we listen? want to give a few more examples of that, you know, and they, it, you know some of these examples i don 't think that i 'm not sure I could live up to, but they're I, I, I share them with you because two things i mean primarily they 're inspiring and they and they really exemplify not getting solidified in one way of seeing things this is uh, from an article called We Need to Start Befriending Neo Nazis. Daryl Davis, who's a, a musician, actor, author, lecturer, he's African American. His MO is this he meets with white supremacists from around the country and asks them one question How can you hate me if you don't even know me? In other words, he starts by listening. Derek Black Some of you may be familiar with Derek Anybody familiar with Derek Black? Yeah So Derek Black is, uh, is a young man He's the, the son of fa- The fa- famous white supremacist His father is Don Black Who started, he was the brains behind this um, Website called Stormfront Stormfront was um, uh, the The person Who who murdered nine African Americans in South Carolina several years ago, got his information from Stormfront. This is the biggest, first and biggest white nationalist site, 300,000 users. So this guy, Derek, his mother is, her name is Chloe. She was married to David Duke, who was another white supremacist. That was his godfather. He was prepped and primed to be a white supremacist, raised at the forefront since he was a little boy. They even called him the heir. So he was outed on his college campus in Florida as an anti-Semite. But one of his classmates, Matthew Stevenson, the only Orthodox Jew on campus, decided to invite Black to a Shabbat meal. It was the only social invitation Derek had received since returning to campus. So he agreed to go. Stevenson told the other guests, let's try to treat him like anyone else. Pretty soon, Black became a regular at these Shabbat meals. And eventually, he renounced the ideas that had once filled him with such hatred. You know, this isn't to say, okay, he's a hero and like it excuses his behavior. No way at all. But it is to say, maybe we shouldn't give up on listening. Maybe we shouldn't give up on the possibility of a human being seeing more clearly and changing their lives in accordance with that. And you know, sometimes we can we can do that, and sometimes it's like, I am going the other way. I'm getting out of here. I need my peeps, you know? Or sometimes we can't get out. We have to just figure it out the best we can. So. It's not to romanticize this, really, it's not. It's just to say things are possible that we don't sometimes imagine. And we need the skills. I believe, this is my personal opinion, that we need the skills of understanding and communicating to change the world. other stories I want to share and then I'll end about people. One, um, and it feels, it feels very powerful for me to acknowledge this, um, Martha P. Johnson. Martha P. Johnson. Anyone know Martha P. Johnson? Yeah? Anyone here? Stonewall? Stonewall. Stonewall Inn, 1969 in New York. Marsha, thank you. I appreciate the correction. Marsha Johnson. You know what P for, stands for? Pay no mind. Pay no mind. So Marsha P. Johnson was born uh, poor, black, male. And uh, in his young age, started to uh, change and dress in girl clothes and identify more with the female side of himself. We would call that now gender nonconforming. Then it was called like transvestite, um, and in that world he became a drag queen. And it's very really moving to hear the story because he had, he couldn't buy the kind of clothes that drag queens buy, you know, like really, you know, decked out clothes. Um, You know, and back then, drag queens were not well respected in the gay movement. They were like the bottom. So here he is, drag queen, he's black. He becomes a she, not through a, you know, at those times, not making a a physical transition, but really identifying as a female. Would take um, flowers that were discarded from the flower cart, didn't have money, just so that she could put them in her hair. So Marsha was at Stonewall Inn the night the police came. They'd come many, many nights, many, many nights to basically beat up the drag queens, put them in the paddy wagon, find some way to arrest them. It happened so often. And one night, just, just, just because there was this moment of, no, no, you can't do that. There was an uprising. There was an uprising and there was pain and beating and it started a movement and that came from, that uprising came from love. It came from love of oneself and love of each other and no, you, you you can't keep destroying our humanity. And it started a movement. And we're, you know, actually three days ago, it marked the 50th year of that event. So what are the odds that someone whose life, you know, know, he, she grew up poor, black, you know, gay, to really... You know, start a movement, and you know she wasn't like, "Okay, tonight I'm going to start the movement because I've got it all figured out." It happened. It just happened, from paying attention. It happened, it was born of love. You know, we see stories about this all the time. Yeah. The next is from um, Pat Parker. See, I'm sharing with you like my my tradition. You know. This is why we need each other, right? We have the elders so you can hear like where we come from and we have the young people so we can understand where we're going. You know, if we don't have each other, we're kind of lost. That's what it feels like to me. You know, sometimes I think like, well, why do I keep coming to the team retreat? Like, look at my hair, like, I don't know your music, you know? And it's just like, why well, I don't know all the language. And then like people come to me, it's like, oh, thank you, that really meant something. It's like, oh, I, I guess we have something in common. I guess we need to keep riding that wave. So Pat Parker was a black, lesbian, poet, activist. She also grew up poor. Mother was a domestic worker. Father worked factory, I believe. And she grew up with violence, poverty, sexual assault. Her sister was murdered by her husband. And she was also physically abused by her. Pat was abused by her husband. And over a period of time, she realized that uh, she came out as a lesbian, became an activist. She wrote one poem, like, this is the advice I'd like to give to my white friends, which is, you must always remember I'm black, and then you must forget it. Well, that's like a koan worthy of exploration, right? It's like we need to understand our differences and how we are impacted in the world, and we need to understand our shared humanity. We are in trouble if we only have one of those. We need both. So... This is one of her poems that I will end with. And I share this with you to really share what's possible in the human heart. So listen for what happens in her heart in this poem. The title of the poem is My Lover is a Woman, One. My lover is a woman, and when I hold her, feel her warmth, I feel good, feel safe. Then, I never think of my family's voices, never hear my sisters say bull daggers, queers, funny. Come see us, but don't bring your friends. It's okay with us, but don't tell mama. It'd break her heart. Never feel my father turn in his grave. Never hear my mother cry, Lord, what kind of child is this? Two, my lover's hair is blonde. And when it rubs across my face, it feels soft. Feels like a thousand fingers touch my skin and hold me. And I feel good. Then, I never think of the little boy who spat and called me nigger. Never think of the policeman who kicked my body and said, Crawl. I'm going to share something hard right now. She wrote it. Well, that was hard. <laughs> this is hard, too. Never think of black bodies hanging in trees or filled with bullet holes. Never hear my sisters say, White folks' hair stinks. Don't trust any of them. Never feel my father turn in his grave. Never hear my mother talk of her backache after scrubbing floors. Never hear her cry, Lord, what kind of child is this? Three. My lover's eyes are blue. And when she looks at me, I float in a warm lake. Feel my muscles go weak with want. Feel good, feel safe. Then... I never think of the blue eyes that have glared at me, moved three stools away from me in a bar. Never feel my father turn in his grave. Never remember my mother teaching me the yes sirs and ma'ams to keep me alive. Never hear my mother cry, Lord, what kind of child is this? Four, and when we go to a gay bar, This was written in probably 70, 74. And when we go to a gay bar and my people shun me because I crossed the line, and her people look to see what's wrong with her, what defect drove her to me. And when we walk the streets of this city, forget and touch or hold hands, and the people stare, glare, frown, and taunt at those queers, I remember. Every word taught me, every word said to me, every deed done to me, and then I hate. I look at my lover and for an instant, doubt. Then I hold her hand tighter and I can hear my mother cry, Lord, what kind of child is this? And I think if Pat Parker were alive today, she might say that it's an indigo child. It's an indigo child. Like all of us. We never know what's possible if we just slow down and pay attention see clearly what we might find is what is there supported by wisdom wisdom being the sail mindfulness the rudder but the boat the boat love thank you for listening